So welcome to our 10th class. So we've been together now for 10 months. And um, clearly it's starting to become a community here. And one of the attitudes or ideas, feelings that I have, understandings I have about Dharma communities is that it's kind of sacred, the connections between people. I think the connections people have between each other is kind of sacred no matter where it is. And that, I don't use the word sacred that often, but I don't know how else to use the specialness and the power that um, I know about this, that uh, uh, the depth of our hearts, the depths of our um, sense of belonging and our depths of uh, sense of purpose and uh, place in the world and intention and, um, you know, these are really important parts of who we are. And a lot of them are navigated, discovered, negotiated in relationship to other people, one way or the other. And uh, when we come into a Dharma community, uh, some of the deepest places inside of us, knowingly or unknowingly, are being touched, are being evoked, are being somehow in the field. And so, um, it's, you know, it's, I, th- I find it a very special place to be and, and um, and feel connected and feel like a shared, maybe some kind of purpose or shared life or shared field of, uh, for right now I'll call it depth or sacredness. Uh, maybe you could say shared intention, but maybe there's a variety of intentions that we would say explicitly, the ones we, we, we think we're about. And then there's the ones that are, have to do with something maybe that's even unconscious that goes on and move, moving through us. So, uh, the theme for today is loving kindness. Uh, this is the ninth of the ten paramis, and uh, uh, you know the word loving kindness, uh, metta, comes from uh, is cognate to the word mitta, which means friend. And sometimes I think that uh, metta should maybe better be translated as friendliness, for a variety of reasons. Sometimes I like that. And that spiritual care. <coughs> uh, is part of a wide repertoire of caregiving instincts or emotions or impulses that we have. And compassion is one of them, but it's only one impulse, part of the caregiving impulses. And another one is friendliness or loving kindness. And, uh, and it's a very important one because uh, compassion, um, as wonderful and powerful it is, uh, very, it's been very important for me in my life, it's something I, I think I discovered more than anywhere else at Tassahara. And, uh, and I just came back from there yesterday, and so I feel kind of tender from that connection, reconnection. Compassion is important, but, um, you know, it, it can be overdone, this compassion thing. And... Uh, <laughs> Should we quote you on that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and... Um, and it, like, for example, uh, for example, um, you know, if I'm in, in distress or suffering, having my friends have compassion for me is a good thing. But I don't want my friends to be looking over me with compassion all the time. It, it's like, give me a break. You know, but having, having care, having friendliness, that's a good thing. Um, but so that's how I meant it could be overdone. It's, there's a time and place for compassion. But that's not always the right attitude to have toward all the people we do. If I'm constantly being compassionate for my kids, they'd run away. <laughs> and, um, you know, there should be other kind of, you know, warm-hearted connections besides that. And so this field of warm-hearted, warm-hearted connections that we're capable of doing. And in my life, uh, after all these years of practice, I, I'm still discovering different aspects, different qualities of this warm-hearted connectivity between people. And, and I find it's part of the richness of this Dharma life is to keep, it keeps open up, opening up or new qualities of it, new aspects of it. And anyway, so today the topic is uh, loving kindness. And uh, I don't know if I'll have more to say later, but Paul and I are supposed to say something after the meditation about it. And then, um, and then we're also going to talk about today about... Um, a spiritual care, pastoral care within a Buddhist Sangha itself. 
because that was part of the original purpose of this program when we started. It was, you know, chaplaincy or spiritual care and hospitals and prisons and hospices and places like that, institutions like that, but also the pastoral care that uh, chaplains might offer it within their own communities, Buddhist communities. And so we'll talk about that a little bit about our experiences at Zen Center and here at IMC. And the part of, uh, you know, uh, an area where something like kindness or friendliness is, uh, I think, a beautiful quality to have, you know, maybe in addition to compassion or instead of compassion, is an interfaith uh, dialogue or interfaith contact um, that, um, you know, if you meet Jews or Muslims or Christians and all you do is have compassion for them, (laughs) they can misunderstand that. But, you know, you want to meet them as kind of, you know, often in inter- interfaith dialogues, you want to meet people as friends and as, as, um, as equals and, and have this kind of uh, uh, a, fr- a friend relationship that uh, maybe is richer and place to connect more deeply with. And so in the afternoon, we're going to have a Christian uh, minister come who is a, a chaplain. I know Christian, she's a Unitarian Universalist. And um, and she's the local chaplain at Kaiser, the palliative care t- uh, chaplain, and um, and then uh, she's going to come and talk about interfaith chaplaincy, the, especially here in the Bay Area. But the, I, I hope in many places in the country, the idea is that hospital chaplains are interfaith chaplains, and um, but that's not always the case in some parts of the country. But uh, where, where it's you know one religion dominates, and that's they think everyone is that way. But um, there are uh, joys, joys and challenges of interfaith chaplaincy. And so uh, Melissa Thompson is going to come and talk about that. And, and then we'll go on from there. So uh, that's the, the plan for the day. And so uh, we'll sit for 10 minutes first. The degree, to the degree to which chaplains are caregivers, <coughs> spiritual caregivers, there's a wide range of attitudes, emotions, intentions that fit under the umbrella of caregiving. And I'll offer you some of these words, some of these, and see which ones resonate with you and which ones might resonate as something that you might want to have present in yourself as we go through this day. To spend this day in community with kindness You might see what difference these different words feel in you. You might spend this day here with friendliness. With goodwill. Spending the day here with a simple sense of care, caringness. Spending the day here with metta, maitri, loving kindness. to keep close to your heart for today, a feeling of well-wishing for everyone here.
and keeping compassion close by, a sense of compassion. Caregiving can be related to having sympathy or empathy. or a sense of affinity or resonance with others. A form of caregiving is appreciation. And to spend the day here appreciating each other, valuing each other. And then there's the old stand-in that we hopefully make new every day. The caregiving that's based on love. And what would it be like to have love present here this day in this class? So one of the most important places that I learned about compassion, kindness, loving kindness, love, has been through my Buddhist practice. And a variety of reasons. One is that, um, important one, is to discover these things as, part, as a natural quality of the heart, natural quality of myself and uh, to feel them welding up, uh, independent of even what I want. And uh, just sitting there and meditating, minding my own business. And and then up comes these feelings of compassion or loving kindness or goodwill or a variety of things. And to kind of feeling the naturalness of it, then feeling that this is kind of a, kind of like an inherent quality that it's not something that's willed or made or invented or but um, it's mostly a matter of getting out of the way relaxing and opening to them and when I understood that then I understood for myself a kind of certain commitment or intentionality around compassion and loving kindness and care it wasn't so much that I had to now gear myself up to be compassionate but the intention to be compassionate in the world had a lot to do with a returning home, coming back to the place inside, or the way of being, the naturalness of it came out. That uh, it, with loving people, it wasn't so much that now I had to kind of work harder when I didn't feel love and not just kind of somehow drum it up and you know charge it up and get going on the love thing or the loving kindness thing. There's more the more like it's the opposite. Rather than you know charging something up, it was more like kind of discharging or 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 making space for opening up to 
uh, giving a chance to the naturalness of it all to live, to come out. Because in a sense, that, uh, that was more true. That was a more true way of being. And generally, the ways that felt less true to me were the ones that covered over these uh, love things and care and compassion and kindness and these kinds of wonderful qualities. And when I understood that, then I really understood, at least I could, I could get behind the idea of being committed to these qualities, like, like having an intentionality, or like in Zen, talk about having a vow. And the idea of the Bodhisattva vow made a lot of sense to me when it was, that was, the, that was the, what I was vowing to, was vowing to coming back to this natural order of things, kind of, rather than, you know, putting on one more set of coats and, you know, now put on the compassion coat or something. And um, and it's been a wonderful ride to feel these wonderful caregiving attitudes and emotions and feelings that come up. And also to get a sense of the range of them and how different times and circumstances, different ones predominate and come through. And, and um, I think I had, uh, we have a cat at home um, and um, my relationship to this cat is varied <laughs> because I, in some ways I wish we didn't have the cat. <laughs> and um, my wife got the cat, but then my wife now is left for six months, so who's taking care of the cat? It's me. So the cat jumps up on the breakfast table and, and uh, you know, I, I feel delight and happiness and you know, wonderful sense of friendliness to the cat. It's really nice petting it. And then I saw, I looked at its eyes, and it's like, one of those eyes, something's, something's oozing out one of the eyes. And so then I felt compassion, and, and then I wanted to stick its snout into my cereal. <laughs> <laughs> so a range of feelings. You know, it's a part of the, part of the kaleidoscope of the morning. So with that as kind of the idea of saying those personal things to see if it would stimulate something in you. And um, can you uh, maybe turn to someone next to you? If there's an odd number, now maybe one group of three, maybe the three of you there. Since, um, and um, and uh, uh, what have you learned through your practice about caregiving emotions, caregiving attitudes? And uh, which of them seems most natural to you and which of them are important for you and how do you tap into them? And, and, um, and uh, you know, what are some of the different words? So, is that, um, so it's just been a few minutes. So it won't be a long. So why don't you uh, talk briefly? Don't, don't give a dissertation on this topic. Uh, just briefly and, and so you can go back and forth a little bit and everyone can say a few little words and I'll ring a bell and when it's time to come back. So. so what was it like to talk about this topic together with your, your community? I'd like to spend a Okay, so you like. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> yeah, it's this is a topic that um, just whatever you, whatever I'm practicing in practice, it always comes back to this topic. So it just, no matter what's happening, no matter what the situation, getting triggered negativity, suffering, just always comes back to this topic of loving-kindness and metta. Great. Thank you. Any other comments about what it was like to do this? Morning, everyone. (laughs) Um, We were talking about how... um, well, from my perspective, like how I resource myself, um, like sp- how I strengthen my own spirit before I'm of service to other people. But sometimes you don't have that luxury, like, you know, you don't have the time or the situation, like, boom, something happens and you want to be there for someone else. So how to, 
attend to ourselves while we attend to other people, I just find like a really interesting question. Um, and I've been playing with that in my service, in my volunteer work, but I, I'd love to hear if anybody mm-hmm. has you know, anything to say about that. Well, that's, it's a great topic, but I don't know if we're going to spend a lot of time on that. But, but just a couple of comments about what it was like to have that conversation or that exploration of... When you were talking about um, it coming home and it being this felt sense, it just, there's a term, I don't know where I heard it, but I'm sure we've all heard it, like, take it below the neck. <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. just... Oh, okay, yeah, take it below the neck, like... That didn't belong here. It's here. So, so when you need it, man, that's where it's at. It's right there. This you have to process. This just, just comes out. I don't know if this speaks to what you were bringing up, but I. For me, my meditation practice, like you say, naturally, compassion comes up for whatever it is I'm, my thoughts are. But but sort of naturally, it's like, oh, sweetie, to me, too. It kind of spills, like, I deserve that, too, or I need that, too, or, or whatever I'm thinking about about myself. Mm-hmm. I become a recipient of it as well. Yeah. Great. So the ninth parami is loving kindness, and then we'll, Paul will have a chance to talk about some. Someone told me recently that the most quoted poem in 2018 was a poem called Kindness. You know that poem? Yeah. And and it's interesting because the poem is probably 20 years old, maybe longer. Uh, And it starts off and it says, before you can know kindness... (coughs) as the deepest thing inside, you must know suffering as the other deepest thing. You must lose things. Uh, in, and I, I know the poet who wrote it very well, actually, we're, we're good friends. Um, and she was traveling in Colombia. With, with, she was on her honeymoon uh, and they, they were on a bus, and the bus was stopped, and everybody on the bus was robbed, and they took everything they had, except the clothes they were wearing. And then they arrived in a little town, and the, the people who were in the town, who were complete strangers, were just so kind to them, you know? And she sat down in the town square, after, you know, being fed and saying, well, you know, we'll contact the American consulate and all this, and so wonderfully taken care of. She sat down and she wrote that poem. And, um, then how it became part of my life when I went, started to go back to where I grew up in Northern Ireland, I grew up in a conflicted community, you know, where there was religious conflict between Catholics and Protestants, violent. And, and I was, you know, trying to offer something uh, in terms of peace and reconciliation. And we would use that poem. It was almost like our, our prayer. You know, it's, it's, if you don't know it, it's a beautiful poem. Um, and it's about kindness. And I was thinking, um, 
how interesting that it's the most, after being written 20 to 25 years ago, it's the most quoted poem in America. You know? Like if, if you'd have, if someone had asked me, and I suspect most of us, you know, well, what, what would be the sentiment that would be most spoken of or most brought to our attention, you know? And that there it is, kindness. And, uh, and, and how the poets, Naomi Shihab Nye is her name, uh, and, uh, you know, for her, it wasn't an abstraction, really. It was like, this is the experience I've just had. Before you can know kindness, you must touch something about the human condition, you know. And she didn't explicitly say in the poem that she'd been robbed, but she said, you know, you must know suffering. You must have experienced losing, you know. And... Um, You know, there's, there's a way we can uh, relate to kindness and it has a kind of a sacredness or an exalted, it's an exalted attribute. And then there's another way. And then when we were doing peace and reconciliation, you know, and, and, and the kind of themes we would use was, it's not a matter of learning, it's a matter of unlearning, you know, division. It's a matter of unlearning separation. It's a matter of unlearning us and them. It's only us. Yeah. In how that happens, you know, hopefully not to the same extent. But, you know, of course, you look at the wars around the world, it is to the same extent, maybe more so than well, it was back there. The separation this, there is an us and them. There is an animosity towards them. And there's even a division within ourselves, you know, that, that with our desires and our aversions, we, we create a separation. And, and I remember, you know, when I practiced in Thailand and being taught that the practice of metta was preparatory practice to shamatha and not only a preparatory practice to shamatha it was a version of shamatha you know? that, that they're both asking us to kind of um, sustain a connectedness and a presence that releases agitation separation aversion you know and one of the practices I was taught was, oh, you sit down, you settle, and then you practice loving kindness. And then as that sort of helps to dissipate the aversions and afflictions and distress of the mind, then you can settle into shamatha, a more focused attending to the object of meditation. And... Um, And it has struck me over the years uh, the utility of that, you know, like how often, you know, our minds are in this stirred up state. And, and, and maybe in that circumstance, is, uh, it starts as a kind of admonition almost. You know, one of the admonitions in the Mahayana, you know, there are in the Zen, the ten precepts is don't, you know, don't harbor ill will is the language we use. You know, don't cling to those negative dispositions in your mind. And so metta as an admonition, an aspiration, a... a first stage of engagement with your own distress. Yeah. 
and not to the exclusion of it, uh, but in a very interesting way to the inclusion of it. You know, one of the slogans I have for myself is, "Don't give up on anybody." You know, like even though you might think, "Oh, that person," you know. I must confess, the person who came to mind was Donald Trump. <laughs> I apologize for that to him. <laughs> uh, you know, don't give up on anybody. Like there's, there's no. Yeah, I practice loving kindness for everybody except them, you know, or that person, you know, and to just. Uh, and I find it very helpful. You know, because I can see that tendency in myself. You know, there's certain people, and I think, "Well, that's outrageous," or you know, or sometimes um, I, I'll see something arise, and it's unpleasant. I don't like it. It stimulates aversion and separation hmm? and, and it's like to see that and think I, I had this it, it go and went through that process with something about maybe four or five months ago and how it ended up with this pronounced sense of separation from that person you know okay it almost like the feeling justified it and this is an appropriate response you know and then when you remind yourself of the beauty the uh, the nourishment and I would say even the wisdom of metta you know, our lives are intertwined. You know, like in being in Northern Ireland, you know. It's a, good, it's a small place. There's only a million and a half people. Um, they all more or less come from the same background, you know. Some of them grew up 50 miles to the south for generations, and some of them came over from Scotland, which is 20 miles away. <laughs> They're the same people, yeah. but they have this intense sense of us and them. You know how easily our minds can do that. How how we need like, like an antidote, yeah. and how matter can do that for us. Yeah. And then, and then when the when the mind does settle, you know, in the metta sutta, it says with a boundless mind, you know, when the mind isn't creating divisions. Yeah. Like the first retreat we did in Northern Ireland, we got people together from both sides and we said, tell each other how you've suffered. It didn't sound different, you know. You couldn't tell from the suffering, you know. Oh, People I knew, people of relatives, you know, suffered like this, suffered harm like this, you know. They were the same. And then to think of going into um, where you do your chaplaincy, you're going to places where people suffer. That's, and how do we address it? And uh, and realizing it's a kind of a continuum, you know, that, that when the us and them, when the separation, you know, whether it's simply internal, you know, what's prompted by what you want and undermined by getting what you don't want, yeah. you know, like who wants to be in a hospital bed with a serious illness, not knowing what the outcome is? Yeah. And um, 
this is one way where we can think that um, chaplaincy is the engagement of metta. You know, then, then that's what we're doing. You know, now, how does it fit into this particular situation? Uh, sometimes it's a reconciliation between people. Sometimes it's coming to terms with um, own conflicted emotions. And, and sometimes it's um, a deep acceptance. Like one of the things I learned in doing chaplaincy, in particularly in hospitals, that it's not on, in, in, in particular around people dying. It's not unusual that someone will have a loved one who died and they will feel a hostility towards the nursing staff or the doctor. You know, they did the wrong thing. You know? And sometimes they want to sue. You know? So I find it very helpful to think of um, how do you hold all that you know, with, uh, with metta, you know? But it's, it's just us, you know, and watch the human tendency to create us and them. Oh, and, and how when it's just us, and you don't give up on anybody, even that part of yourself that creates aversion, you know, like somehow when we include it, uh, then it's easier to see the place of suffering, you know? And you think, like, just like Naomi in her poem, you know? It's like, oh, she went through a great loss and then she was totally open to metta, to kindness. And then in a kind of wonderful way, writing that poem launched her career as a poet. <laughs> she's, she's quite renowned now as a poet. Um, so we have the admonition, the aspiration. Then, then it draws us into um, the innate caring we have as humans. You know? In how it can. We care so we don't like. We don't like, we don't find pleasant, so we have aversion and separation. Or we cure, and we like, and then how do we have boundless mind caring? You know, how, how is it caring without some agenda to receive, or grasp it, or own it? You know? And then as we do that, we um, just just the same way in our meditation that it helps us to create the the consciousness that can engage shamatha. Then you know it's it's like we're opening up to the interbeing, the interconnectedness of all existence. You know, that our lives are not just intertwined, they're literally codependent. Yeah. And, and how that is so um, both f- for us as human beings, it's reassuring, it's nurturing, and it's caring, and it's love. And from the wisdom point of view, it, it just... Uh, eliminates the nature of life, you know, that that's how it is. We, uh, we, we are part of life. And, uh, and, and when that comes up, you know, it, 
another line from another sutta was coming to mind, and it's, it says, no fear exists. When that comes up, when the interbeing is there, there is no fear. Yeah. And, and it's... And, you know, now when I think back, the very first session we did in Northern Ireland, and we were... Um, we, we had, with, with some finessing, we got people from both sides. And they, they were thinking, and literally they said, I, can't, I couldn't be in the same room as one of them. I just couldn't. You know, it's too awful. And then finally we got them in the same room. They told each other how they suffered. And they stood up and hugged each other. You know, there was no great, you know, articulated resolution above the neck. <laughs> you know, it was just, they touched something that felt, this is the common ground of our existence. And they hugged and said, let's share addresses and get connected. And So that way in which the agency of metta uh, ha- isn't something you figure out, you know. You, you don't make a checklist. Okay, well, let's agree on this and this and this and this. No, it's like, as it says in the Metta Sutta, it's like how a mother loves her child. You know, it's just something beyond being figured out, something beyond um, how we calculate it. And then to have all that hovering there, and then from a Zen perspective, you know, the notion of a koan or the challenge, okay, and when I enter in with, into the room, the situation with these guys, with this person, how will that come forth? In my notion is our practice deeply informs us and then we make it up in the moment. Hmm? How can you possibly have a recipe for relating to the human condition? And yet our practice can tell us so much about it. Sure. Well, I'm in charge. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Any thoughts about how Meta has informed in a particular situation your chaplaincy? I have a hard time thinking how, without meta, I could be a chaplain. Hmm. It's for me. It's the core philosophy of me being a chaplain is the loving kindness. Mm-hmm. Can you think of a particular instance where that was manifest? Uh, last summer, I had a um, patient. I was actually told not to go visit him because he does. He specifically said. He doesn't want to see a chaplain. And, of course, I went and introduced myself. And I I told him, I heard that he didn't want to see a chaplain, but I said, can I go and when I'm making my rounds, just stick my head in and say hi and wish you a good morning or afternoon and Mm -hmm. just see how you're doing today? And he said, yes, you can do that. And I did that. And throughout the summer, we had a relationship um, and I think it was through that loving kindness that allowed me to 
be more open to just making sure I said hi to him and um, be there for him if he needed anything. Hmm. That's right. Finding the connection. When Gil was talking, I was trying to figure out exactly what the differences are between compassion and loving kindness, and I don't think I'm going to ask that question anymore because I, you know, come anyway. Um, yeah, when I enter a room, a hospital room, I don't enter with compassion. I enter with friendliness. Hi. You know, just that's that's the connection is the mm-hmm. friendliness, just person to person. Um, as opposed to whatever that that quality is, like that is the compassionate that comes, but I enter with friendliness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just hi. And, and then, Susan, is, is there a a sensibility with which you're going to meet whatever happens? Do you know what I'm asking? Like we could say, well, how do you? exhibit or bring forth loving kindness into the exchange or is it just a genuineness in your own friendliness um you know i'm not exactly sure it is it's just like right presence it's just um ascertaining first of all that they want me to stay um, and just chat um, and, and then sort of becoming comfortable can I pull up a chair what side would you like me to sit on which you know so that they're comfortable um, and, and just sort of like making it a little little homey in that weird environment mm-hmm. um, just kind of like yeah, I'm just, just, just making it homey, making it warm. Maybe I'm not, I'm not very articulate. Sorry, um, but but there's there's just sort of a a I'm so glad to see you and and thank you for letting me come. So that kind of thing that I'm in their space. I'm in. I'm not. You know, this is this is where they are, mm. and and I'm a guest. It's like that. Not I don't want them to think that I'm anywhere the same kind of visit as a nurse or a physical therapist or like that. It's not like that. I'm a guest in their space, mm. and I'm really glad to see them. Does that? Mm. Is that? Yeah. Because I think, in a way, uh, loving kindness is simple. It's not a complicated right. relationship. Uh, yeah. 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 When when you said that, you said, uh, and making it homey in that weird environment. It's like my heart just soared and I thought of the eighth floor in the psych unit, level three and four guys. And I went, that's it, that's it. That's what happens. And it's just a perfect articulation of the quality of uh, coming in with friendliness. And then you followed it with, I'm not very articulate, sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Then I just yeah. felt so connected. <laughs> yeah. Um, I read someplace that meta, and I love the definition, is unconditional friendliness. You know, not just, we talk about unconditional love, but unconditional friendliness. And, and um, this is when I do my jail program, right from the beginning, I, just, this, I have them write something in their folders. And this is the beginning. And, it, uh, and what I have them write, in, they have concentric circles, and right in the middle... I, I have them write, I am a loving human being 
deserving of dignity and respect. And so it, I don't know, I, I enjoy my work so much because it, I don't care, I don't know what the crimes are, I never find out, I often don't find out, but I just, I just, uh, and it, I think it works, it's just uh, in very short, you know, after two or three sessions we have this feeling of just, you know, hominess and uh, being a family. But that's what I, I like that one. It's unconditional friendliness, not just friendliness. Mm-hmm. And, and because it's the Buddha nature that, you know, that's what I'm aiming for. It's the Buddha nature you that I am now speaking to. And then it, we just leave all that other surface stuff. I had one patient, uh, well, I've had a few patients where this kind of thing has happened, but it really stuck out for me, this woman. um, She'd had a tracheotomy. um, She was older. um, I don't know that she, well, she couldn't couldn't talk. um, And, uh, yeah, and I just just fell in love with her. In fact, um, when I met her, she was in the ICU and uh, I asked the nurse, you know, if it was even worth visiting her. And she said, yeah, let me see if I can, can rouse her a little bit. I think a little conversation that would be like raise her energy level, and then I want that. And uh, I started, so I started talking to this, this uh, woman who was hardly even there. And, and the nurse started answering me. I think I told this story before. Um, and, uh, and the woman kind of, she did respond a little bit, but I didn't. She, we were not going to have a conversation. It was really clear. Um, but I asked her, I just asked her if I could hold her hand. And I, and I asked because I really wanted to. And um, her hand was like, it was really soft and human. And I just, I just fell in love with her. She, um, most, of the, most of the patients leave before I see them again. But I saw her several times. And, um, and, I think that was maybe the only thing I brought was was the, that um, friendliness. And I just, I, I don't know why, I just found her to be totally delightful. So I could go in and just give her a big smile and she would smile back and and, and we had that. And um, that was kind of, in a way that was kind of it. And it was, it was awesome. So that was, um, yeah. Oh, thank you for reminding me of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, two weeks ago, um, a man at Elmwood had requested to see a chaplain. And um, the notes had something like, um, it's out there or, or something. And I didn't quite know what it meant on his paper. And I got in. Uh, to the interview room and I quickly realized what the the note was that he was um, out there it was like he you know he was the he had been in this committee and had been on this and he knew this person he knew that person and I finally started saying well I'm going to take notes to myself and maybe you know fact check this guy because you know he's as weird as somebody else we know and um, and so I listened. I listened for about 15 minutes. And I said, why don't we sit in meditation? Why don't we just... He talked about uh, starting a uh, retreat center. And it was going to be this big meadow. And we're going to go out there. And so I started with that. I said, well, imagine that you're out in your meadow in your retreat center. And it's in the openness. And you know, kind of doing a guided meditation. Trying to bring him down. And about, <laughs> I don't know three minutes at the most, he stops me and he says, let me finish what I was saying. And, and I just said to myself, this is not going my way. <laughs> this is not <laughs> going to go my way. And so I just let him talk for the next 15 minutes or so. And then I said, um, 
you know, I'll, I'll come back next week um, and we can talk some more and do medit together or um, meditation together. Um, but um, yeah, so it was like for me, it was it was not my it was it wasn't my agenda that was necessary. It was just allowing him to have someone to be there with him, just a physical person to be there with him. And that was my job. And it, I felt like that was um, a real uh, gift that I gave for myself uh, because I don't have to be in charge. Uh, I can just relax. Um, and I can do that in other areas of my life. It's like I can just relax and let it be. And there's nothing, I, there's nothing that I could do about it um, to make him change or be different. Uh, and and it wasn't necessary. <laughs> it just wasn't necessary. What was necessary is that he requested somebody. I came in and I sat with him, and that's it. That was what the experience was, and it was enough for me, and probably enough for him, because he got some time. It's a good teaching for us, isn't it? To remember, don't be ambitious. Don't. Don't have, here's my goal, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They're told you don't save, but you don't have to save the world. Yeah. I want to comment on Alan's uh, statement about it. It's so much a part of uh, what I do in the hospital. The meta, and if you, I was just writing down my notes from the from what I can remember of the sutra. But you know, it starts out with uh, gentle in speech. I think that's part of what we do. Um, humble, not conceited. I think we were going into those rooms in that kind of mental attitude. And Paul mentioned spreading kindness throughout, boundless. All those phrases in the, the sutra itself I think help me uh, when I'm there so, and it's, I don't think I consciously think about it but it's there you know, an interesting thing happened in our Zen center San Francisco Zen center that Somehow or another, I think because they were doing a certain teaching, someone said, well, let's chant the Metta Sutta, which is a Theravadan text and doesn't really have a place. It it doesn't have an equivalent in the Zen world. But we started to chant it, and then we just never stopped. And we never made a decision, we never had a meeting to say, should we keep doing this, is this a good thing? It never happened. We just started and never stopped. <laughs> and, and so we tented all the time. <laughs> and, and never did we sit down and say, well, what about this? Is this within our tradition or just somehow? But at some point it ended up in the liturgical book. Yes. In the chant book. Yeah. Now in, in our chant book and... But the version is very zen. <laughs> the Theravada version is our chanting it. They interpreted in their own modern Soto Zen way. We made a little change. <laughs> and it's my favorite uh, rendition of the Metta Sutta. If I was going to take one version with me, I would take that one. I like it quite a bit. It's interesting to see how these things change. And so he was innocently said, we just started doing it. But yeah. someone, I don't know, first or afterwards, changed a few of the words. It was Mel. <laughs> yeah. The most significant change we made right at the end, I think the traditional version says about uh, rebirth. Longer get uh, born in any any womb. Yes, and and we just said, uh, uh, um, what is the last line, Dylan? Do you remember? 
It, essentially, what we did was we took out any dualism. You know. Realize the non-duality of birth and death. Yes. So that, that's, the, that's not exactly the words, but that's the gist of it. That you go beyond the dualism of birth and death. And also they inserted a little bit of joy in it. <laughs> we did. At least in Tassara, they are Tassara. Oh, it's a standard now. Metta is a living tradition. Mm. So it makes sense to change it as we go along. Any other comments before we take a break? Here's a story that comes to mind in that same period of time in Northern Ireland. This farcical thing happened. You know, the community divided itself into Catholic and Protestant areas and in, in a very hostile way. You know, if you lived, if you were of one denomination and you lived in the other one, your life was in danger. You know, um, wasn't a pleasant thing. But the, there was a Catholic school here and there was a Protestant, a Catholic area here, but in between was a Protestant area. And so the, the kids, it was elementary school, so the kids had to walk through this Protestant area to get to school. And the women in the Protestant area started spitting on the kids. They would go to school, you know, like, you know, they'd be at school at 9 and leave at 3, so they'd be walking at 8.30 and 3.30, and they'd spit on them. So then they, uh, the army came in, the place was uh, run, was, they had a large, the army was running the, the, instead of the police. And so the army would come in in their, in their armored cars, and they would line this area. So every morning... At 8.30, there would be like hundreds of soldiers lining this area and the kids would go through and the, and the women would jeer them and spit on them and then the same thing would happen in the afternoon. And then they said to me, well, would you go and practice some mindfulness with them, the, the women? And so I went and I met with the women and I said, how is it for you? How is it, you know, essentially using the CM line, how do you suffer? And they were going through horrible difficulties and, and hardships because of all the troubles. And there they were also, their houses were also under attack. Their cars were also being stolen. There And, and, um, And I said to them, well, would you like to practice some stress relief? <laughs> and and then and, and, um, we did that, and then we made a CD, and then I went back to California, and they did it every week, and the whole thing disappeared. Just a little loving-kindness and... And it, it literally, this was an international issue. There were cameras from news crews from around the world coming to see. To and, and all the women who were spitting came to see you. Well, the core of about a group of twenty came. Yeah. Wow. And that was enough to change the whole. And that changed the whole thing. Great story. Wow. Yeah. And I came back in six months, and they had done it every week, and. They were uh, different people. So they didn't want it to change. They didn't want to do that. Who wants to suffer? Right, right. Yeah. But they also didn't want to do that to the kids. I mean, they really didn't want to do it. It's, it's, but 
Just think of yourself when you're agitated and filled with animosity. I mean, is that who you want to be? But, But there it is, and you're acting it out in whatever way you're acting it out. You know, it's just... But, you know, given the opportunity... Well, the first time they had, like, they were chain smoking, they were, you know, shaking their, their foot. You know, you could see they were just wind tight. But just the connectedness, you know, to me, you know, that part of make it up as you go along, you know. What the heck would you say to these people? Well, maybe just say, how is it? How's all this for you? Because my mind can conjure up all sorts of ideas, opinions. So to me, that's a kind of practicality of loving kindness. You know, it's sort of We're all just human. Please. What was there a particular technique that you taught them? Basic. Um, yes, I, I taught them a modified version of John Cabot's Zen process. Yeah, one that they could do uh, in the. Yeah, part of it was very hands-on. Where would you do it? We'd do it here. And then I made a CD and they played it every week. And yeah. I mean, it, leads to, it can lead to something, you know. And I think of it as that you enter in, you make connection, and you let something happen. And it's not exactly random, but it's not just because you know what should happen and you want it to happen the way you want it. It's just how it goes. Did you ever meet any of those children? You know, I never did. I think... uh, Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, it seemed to me the way to address it was to meet with the women. Okay. Shall we take a break? Yeah, let's meet meet again in here at uh, ten to eleven. A little bit less than fifteen minutes.